Hi, everyone. Welcome to Warden Tech Talks. I'm Leon. And I'm Zoe, and we're your co-hosts today. Today, we're joined by Jessica Gilmartin. Jessica is the Chief Marketing Officer at Calendly. With nearly 20 years of experience in the industry, she's an expert in both product and sales-led growth. Gilmartin earned her MBA from the Wharton School in 2004 with a major in marketing and strategy. Jessica, can you tell us where you're calling in from today? I am calling in from Menlo Park, which is just south of San Francisco. Nice. Happy to have you. So just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Calendly? Absolutely. So I run our marketing team, and that really is responsible for all of our growth, our brands, our demand generation, and our product marketing. So basically, how do we speak to our customers? How do we help grow? How do we promote our brand? And I also really support our internal communication. So how do we speak to our employees and how do we keep them engaged? Nice. I love that. In one of your original interviews with Calendly on the blog, you said that as a leader, the thing I care the most about is that my team feels safe to take risks, make mistakes, and give and receive tough feedback. I'd love to know a little bit more about how now that you've gotten to know the team a little bit better, you guys are still continuing to take risks. Absolutely. So this is a really interesting time. Anybody that was in tech during the pandemic-fueled times, it was very much a rising tide floats all boats. There was a lot of easy money to be made, and now that is definitely not the case. It's a really challenging time for anyone that is trying to sell or market, particularly in the technology industry. You know, Calendly is a really interesting and unique position because we have 20 million users. We are a household name among anybody that does scheduling. And the big question for us is how do we maintain our leadership position? How do we stay ahead and innovative against a lot of competition? How do we continue to service our customers? And how do we continue to create a really engaged employee base when we are fully distributed? So lots and lots of really interesting, meaty problems for a marketer and marketing team to solve. For me, the way that I think about it is that because we have such a complex user base, that incredibly heterogeneous, which is pretty common for a product-led growth organization. My team is really thinking about how do we use data more and more intelligently to be able to understand who do we market to? How do we market to them? What's the story that we tell each of them in a different way to be really relevant? A lot of our innovation, a lot of our risk-taking is really around who do we target? How do we target them? How do we bring them into the funnel? How do we think about all the different ways that we speak to them, that we segment them, whether we get them to sales, whether we try to get them to engage directly with our product? It's incredibly, incredibly complicated. And that's, to me, the fun part. Jessica, you kind of talked about your market leading position, Calendly as a product. And we love Calendly too. That's We kind of joked that we should reach out to the CMO of Calendly as we were using it. Luckily, we found a Warden alum. We know it's like a very easy to use tool, but it's also quite simple. That's the beauty of it. In tech, a lot of times you talk about something like a moat. How do you think about the moat of Calendly and how do you protect it from a marketer's position? Absolutely. There is definitely a lot of competition. Calendly was the pioneer in scheduling. We were the first people to think of putting a link in an email. And then it's very obvious in retrospect, and it's been wildly, wildly successful. And of course, there are competitors. So I think number one, you mentioned it, it is what we hear constantly from our users is how easy it is to use, but also it's very, very powerful and susceptibly powerful. So I think one of the things that we keep thinking a lot about is how do we make it as easy as possible for people to use it? And then that viral motion. So the more that people use it and the more that people that are being invited have a delightful experience using it, 
the more efficient our user acquisition is. And that really is one of our secret sauce. It's just the reality of it. Because once you get a Calendly link and you realize how easy it is, it's hard not to sign up for it so that you can provide that same experience. So I think that that's one, which is just this very delightful experience on both sides. I'd say the other is there are a lot of competitors in the scheduling space and the very basic elements of scheduling are definitely commoditized. And that's why we've invested a huge amount in innovation, which I think most people don't actually realize. And that's one of the big things that I really think about as head of marketing is how do we continue to share how powerful our product is. We have a ton of incredibly advanced features for recruiters that no other product has. We have a ton of incredibly advanced features for salespeople, for customer support people, for marketers. Most people don't realize that we embed on customers' websites. And so if you want to talk to a salesperson, if you want to get an an appointment to get your car fixed, you can do that from a website using Calendly. If you want to do incredibly advanced integrations with Salesforce or with your ATS You do that through Calendly in a way that really no other scheduling platform allows you to do. Because we have been laser focused on this for more years than anybody else, we have been able to build features and understand customers in a way that no other company has. And so I think ultimately that is the most important mode that you can build is a deep understanding and empathy for your customers and constant innovation. I think you've talked about this in both of your answers, the issue of customer segmentation. What's a market segment that you're particularly excited about or spending a lot of time thinking about? The financial services industry has been a really, really huge market for us. If you think about it, so you, you're you probably not there yet, but you will be, which is when you start thinking about buying insurance or thinking about your wealth management. These are all things that are really painful from both sides to schedule. And if you think about an insurance agent, all they're doing is meeting with potential clients and clients all day. And they have dozens and dozens of these meetings a week, and they typically have had to do it the very old-fashioned way. And now with Calendly, it, it dramatically reduces the back and forth. It's a better experience for their customers, and it allows them to be more successful and more efficient. So we've seen huge traction in financial services. The other industry is education, and probably something you are very familiar with it, which is, you know, hey, you want to talk to a career counselor, or you want to talk to a guidance counselor, or a therapist, or health services, And we enable these colleges and business schools and graduate schools to, for example, embed a round robin on their website. And so if you, Leon, want to schedule a meeting with one of 10 career counselors, you can just go on the site and then pick the next available and you're done. So that's been something that's been pretty game changing for a lot of educational providers. That's huge. I feel like most of my business school work is just reaching out to folks to learn about their careers and whatnot. That's so true, Leon. So building off of what you were saying before about being inspired by your customers, I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about how you're using data perhaps to understand your customers and how that's leading to more innovation at Calendly. We spend a lot of time thinking about different ways to segment our customers. And also just the big thing that we're trying to figure out is intent. That's a really, really big concept in marketing right now, which is how do we understand who are those customers that have the highest propensity to buy and use the product? And especially in the product-led growth world, it's not just about using the product, but it's also about monetizing. Many PLG companies don't have an issue with getting users. The issue is how do you get them to actually upgrade and pay for those features and stay with you? And so really deeply understanding who are the right types of users that are the ones that have the highest propensity to not only activate with you, but also stay with you in the long term is something that is very, very important. It's something that when I talk to other 
marketing leaders, that's pretty much the number one thing that we talk about. And so there's a lot of ways to do it, which is really connecting your product to your top of funnel sources. So many companies will use Google, Facebook, traditional sort of advertising to drive users into the funnel, but they typically stop at activation. So they typically stop at, you know, does someone come to our page and sign up? And they say, yeah, that's a good user. They feed that data back into Google and say, hey, find more users like these. But what we've actually done is we've kind of connected it all the way through into monetization. So we say, you know, we're only looking at those users that are long-term paying customers of ours. And then we're feeding that back into our paid advertising algorithms to say, hey, these are the customers that actually are valuable to us. They are paying us and it's worth acquiring them. So that's one really important thing that we sort of focus on. The other thing that we focus on a lot is really thinking about our lead scoring, which is something that sounds really boring. And I swear to you, I've spent out of 10, 15 years of B2B marketing, I've spent 80% of my time talking about lead scoring and lead routing. And it's not something that you hear about in business school, but it's actually like incredibly important. And it's that kind of interaction with sales and it's understanding what are the valuable signals that you have that allow you to understand what leads to pass to sales. And it's really hard and it's really subjective and you kind of have to change it all the time. But that's a huge thing that we are thinking about now, which is what are the right signals, both from a demographic perspective, as well as an intent and usage behavior, what actions people are taking to understand whether these are good leads or not that we should pass to sales. Jessica, you mentioned the term product-led growth. What does that mean for like a chief marketing officer for yourself? Yeah, so product-led growth is something relatively new. So the very traditional model, which is the model that I grew up in after graduating from Wharton, is called tops down. So you have a sales team and the sales team is going after a very specific persona. So if you're selling a recruiting product, you are typically just selling to heads of recruiting or heads of HR and you've got a salesperson and what they're doing all day is they're reaching out to heads of HR to try to get meetings. And marketing is an assist in that. So marketing is helping to generate great content. They're helping to have events. They're helping to generate demand through emails or through advertisements. But ultimately, it's the salesperson that's reaching out and having the conversation, closing a deal. And over the past sort of, say, 10 years, there's really been this massive, massive upsurge of product-led growth, which is really this idea that people basically that's kind of democratizing access to product. In the old school way, when we talk about recruiting, if somebody in recruiting decides that they're going to implement a new tool, they push it down to everyone in the company. Everybody has to use that tool, whether they like it or not. In this new product-like growth world, everybody within a company decides they can choose to use a product or not, and they discover it on their own. So Slack is a great example of, a, obviously, Calendly is a great example. Asana, my previous company, is a great example. These are all massive companies. Notion, these are all companies where somebody can choose to use the product on their own. It's very valuable for them to use on their own. And then they encourage other people to use it and other people have to see value. The real difference is that number one, the product has to be super user-friendly. It has to almost be consumer-like in its ease of use. And the marketer, instead of working closely with the salespeople, they are working really closely with the product team to figure out how do we find the right users? So what's our acquisition motion? How do we get those users into our funnel? How do we get them to sign up? And then once they sign up, how do we get them to take all the right actions to use the product, find value, buy the product, share it with other people and create what we call, it's called a seed and a land and expand motion. So you seed the first user to get them to use it. You land by having them really engage with a team and spread it to their team. And then you expand by hopefully having an entire company use it. 
you're kind of capturing the virality of a B2C product while having like the scale of a B2B product. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Nice. I was really interested with what you were saying before when you mentioned your previous role at Asana. So could you tell us a little bit about how your role there has informed what you do at Calendly and what's something that maybe you're actually trying to do differently now? So when I joined Asana, I joined right at the start of the pandemic. So we definitely saw this incredibly rapid growth there. I mean, kind of an unnatural level acceleration of growth as many software companies did. And so one of the big things that I learned there was really just the importance of systems and data and structure and operations. Without those underpinnings, then it's impossible to grow efficiently and it's impossible to actually grow effectively. So I was kind of joked that, you know, if you don't have the right systems and data and operations, it's like trying to build a skyscraper on the foundation of a mud hut. So you're building and building, building, but the underlying foundation is rotten and it's all going to come crumbling. And actually, you've seen that a lot. You've seen that with a lot of companies where they were so focused on growth and they were so focused on supporting their growth that they didn't build the right foundations. And I think the right foundations to me are, do you understand your customer? Do you understand why people buy? Do you understand the value that they're getting? Do you have the right unit economics in terms of getting the right people in the door and servicing them efficiently? So these are all like fundamental things that you have to build in order to be long-term successful, which is really hard when you are in this mode of runaway growth. I really took a lot of those lessons to Calendly and I've invested a huge amount here in operations, in analytics. And so actually a really significant part of my team, much more so than most people, are operations people, they're analysts, so that we can make really intelligent decisions around how we're spending our money. I'd rather invest a lot less dollars in advertising and events and things that are kind of more the sexy, splashy aspects of marketing. And I'd rather spend a lot more of my dollars on the infrastructure and the data and the tooling so that we can know how to spend every single one of our dollars efficiently and effectively. Speaking about some of the sexier angles in marketing, I imagine something, a company with as much data as Calendly is thinking about AI applications in your tool. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you're thinking about involving it in your product as you go forward? Like everybody else, we are thinking a lot about AI. I think it's impossible not to. Yeah, I'd say that to be really honest, the application of AI within marketing tools has been moderately disappointing so far. So I'm excited and I believe in it, but I haven't really seen a huge amount of value in the tools that we're using so far. So I look forward to be proven wrong. I look forward to seeing those kind of sea changes. I just haven't seen them yet. And I think probably the biggest area where people talk about now from a marketing perspective that's working quite well is on the generative AI helping with writing. I use that pretty sparingly because by definition, an AI writing tool is going to give you something that anybody else will write because that's literally what it is. It's taking all of the work that other people have done and sort of smushing it together and giving you the average of what's being written on the web. So I use it pretty sparingly, but I know it sometimes can be helpful as a first draft. I would love to see much more interesting AI, particularly as it relates to helping us understand customer segmentation and helping us create, you know, sort of uh, individual nurture paths, individual paths for every single one of our customers. We're not there yet. So from a uh, calendar perspective, we actually just launched our new AI. We announced that we will have some AI features coming. We basically launched a waitlist, which has not surprisingly been very popular just given the volume of Calendly users. So we're really excited about how do we implement AI in our product. And I think on the sales and customer support side, there's actually a lot more interesting things that are happening. I think we're excited to plug into that. That's really interesting to hear, actually, amidst all the AI hype about your relative disappointment about AI in terms of marketing analytics. Like, why do you think that is? Is it because 
you know, Calendly is such a easy to use product and you have all of these analytics about your users already and AI just doesn't add much at the moment or is it something else? I think marketing, it just requires a lot of manual intervention and it's so complicated and the paths that you can take are so numerous and massive. And so I just think it's really hard for one AI tool to be able to solve all the things that you need to look for from a marketing perspective. There are certain roles I think that can be more, it's not that they're easier, but they can be more templatized. I was a salesperson. There are certain aspects of sales that can absolutely be more templatized and you can be much more effective. I think marketing is more challenging that way because I think marketing, there's so much of it that's still very creative and still very much. And even if you have all the data, there's still so much of it that requires a lot of creativity and requires new thinking innovation, which is why I love marketing. Yeah. Yeah. There seems only so far that the science can go before you need the art of marketing. Yeah. It's why for me, like SEO, which is the search engine optimization, it only works to a certain point because there's only so much value you can get by trying to game Google search terms. Makes a lot of sense. All of this talk about data really brings me back to what we're always talking about here at Wharton about how we can really lead and understand through analytics. So it sounds like that's something that's carried throughout your career. So speaking kind of more broadly about your career journey, I know prior to Wharton, you were working in finance and you've also dabbled in entrepreneurship a little bit, as well as your great career in marketing. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about how you evaluated different career opportunities as they were presented to you and what was kind of your key motivator or North Star as you were making decisions. Yeah, the one thing that I tell everybody that's sort of earlier in their career is really to avoid making decisions on things like money or title or the number of reports that you'll have. These are all vanity metrics that ultimately don't actually lead to long-term success or happiness. So I've been able to spend a lot of time on introspection and really understanding what are the things that make me really happy. And so I think everybody should do that. Everybody should really think about the things that are the most rewarding for them that make them happy every single day and really focus on that. For some people, it's doing good in the world and they should really focus on that, right? So what are the things that are going to allow them to feel like they're making impact on the world? For me, the things that I care about are two things. One is, am I learning? And am I making an impact on the organization? So as soon as I'm not learning anymore, that's when I realize that that it's not the role for me anymore. And if I can't feel like I'm making an impact, then it's not very rewarding for me, which is why I found that larger companies tend to not be a great fit for me because I find that I just can't make the level of impact that I would like. And it's interesting because I've talked to some people that are at very large companies who love it because even if they are a very small cog in the wheel, for them, sort of the impact comes from influencing millions and millions of people. And so they don't mind that they are making a small impact within the organization because they know everything they do impacts millions or billions of people. And so that's very rewarding for them. For me, my impact comes from being able to make really large differences within a company. And I don't really care whether externally it impacts 10 customers or a million customers, I love being able to sort of have a seat at the table and making these really important strategic decisions. And so I think it's really important for people to understand what gets them excited and motivated because it's absolutely going to be different for every person. And learning is just to me incredibly important. I think it's very, very important to be intellectually curious, to always be asking questions, to always be thinking about how do you do new things? How do you break things? How do you start things over? And that's how I learn. And that's what gets me excited. For other people, that's not as interesting for them. They are okay with sort of making existing things better. That's not what gets me excited. I definitely am much more of an entrepreneurial mindset. And so I focus on the things that where I can build. 
And so I think it really fundamentally comes down to what are your passions and don't do the things that other people tell you are the right things to do. Like don't go to a company because it has a great brand name, go to a company because you're personally excited to work there and, and you believe that you will love what you do every single day. Do you have any clear goals for something you're interested in doing at Foundly for maybe the rest of this year or thinking about the next year? The biggest thing that we are really focused on is just continuing to innovate a lot on our product. We have a new chief product officer and a very, very ambitious product roadmap. So from a marketing perspective, I'm really excited about telling that story. I'm really excited about continuing to change the perception of Calendly as a scheduling link and really helping people understand all the great things that we have to offer. So I think that that's, I'm always really passionate about that. And the thing that I internally care a lot about is being a really great manager and a great leader, helping people understand what their passions are. How do they become better? How do they develop? So that's always something that is top of mind for me. And especially as I get later in my career, and I think it's much less about me and much less about what I'm doing, my success. And it's much, much more about what I can give back to the people that work for me. What is something about the role of CMO or just marketing in general that people don't usually think about? The most surprising thing to me about being a CMO is how little time I actually spend on marketing. So I have really fantastic leaders, functional leaders, and they spend all their time thinking about all the different elements of marketing. And being a CMO, I think is much more cross-functional than any other role because I have to think a lot about the employee brands. I have to think a lot about the internal communication. So what we say to all of our employees, I have to think about what we say externally. So how do we position ourselves in the market? Almost everything that changes, almost every major decision that we make as a company, I have to be heavily involved in just to make sure that it is consistent with our brand, which means that I'm just involved in so many things that are not traditionally marketing. I think that that always comes as a surprise to me is how little time I actually spend thinking about or doing marketing. Nice. You mentioned thinking about how you're speaking to employees versus how you're storytelling about Calendly externally. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how are you differentiating between what you're saying internally versus externally? I think the biggest thing that we want to do internally is really motivate and excite people around our mission and our purpose. We spend a lot of time really talking about that. I think we spend a little less time talking about that externally. You know, externally, it's definitely more about the features and the functions and what we can do for individuals. We call, we call it jobs to be done, right? So how do we help our users with their jobs to be done? But internally, it is very much about the why we're doing this and inspiring them and motivating them. Everybody wants to come to work every day and feel like they're doing something that matters. And so really our job is to connect the work that we're doing with why this matters and why you should spend nine, 10 hours a day working on these problems. And it's not really just about scheduling. What Calendly does is we help people be successful. We help connect students and potential employers. We help them connect wealth managers with potential clients. We help, I think one of the things that I love about Calendly is everywhere I go, no matter where I go, somebody has a story for me about how Calendly has impacted them in a positive way. And so it's really important for us to feed those stories back to our employees so they understand why what they're doing matters and that they are helping candidates find great jobs and they're helping people be more successful and make money and feed their families and helping companies grow. That mission is really valuable and and is important. Okay. Next question. When you are reflecting back on your experience at Wharton, is there one key lesson that you learned that has remained relevant throughout your whole career? The reason I actually chose marketing was 
how interesting it was of the mix between creativity and data and analytics. So when I came to Wharton, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I just knew I didn't want to do finance anymore. I didn't really know all the other elements of business. And when I took my first marketing class, I fell in love with it and realized like, this is that perfect blend of right and left brain. And so I've always taken that with me, which is that you can be really creative and you have to be really creative, but it always has to be grounded in numbers and data. And I think that has actually made me fairly unique in marketing. I think my bent towards data and analytics has given me a lot of credibility and a lot of strong relationships with people like head of sales and my CEO and my CFO that has allowed me to be successful in a way that a lot of marketers aren't because they focus way too much on the creativity part. How are you striking that balance between the creativity and the analytical analysis? One of the things that we do a lot in marketing is A-B testing. And you'll hear that all the time when you go into the marketing world. And so I think you always have to have a control. You always have to have a very clear understanding of what's the goal of what you're doing and how you're going to measure success and then create lots of different examples. We do a lot of that is we will have three or four different creative approaches And that's the fun part, right? And we have an amazing head of design, head of brand who thinks a lot about that. And I have fantastic marketers that are sort of coming up with all these different approaches. But it's really important to launch creative and launch campaigns in a way that you can measure success. One thing you'll hear a lot about is, for example, billboards used to be very, very popular. And then weirdly, they still are. People always say like, well, how can you tell whether a billboard is successful? It's not like a click. Or how can you tell an ad is successful or a podcast ad or a radio ad or a TV ad is successful? It's really hard unless you create test areas. You can actually say, okay, I'm only going to put billboards or I'm only going to do connected TV in Austin, Texas. And I'm going to run that for a few months. And I'm going to see if I see an increase in leads and website visitors from Austin, Texas. That's really, really important for you to set up your campaigns in a way that you can actually measure results and you can isolate them from the normal fluctuations and visitors that you get versus if you just ran a global or national campaign, it's actually really hard to sort of look at that and say whether that was successful. And so those are kind of the first questions your CEO will always ask is, okay, you want a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or $10 million for this? How are you going to understand whether it's successful? And you better structure in a way that you can answer that question or you're not going to get that money again. Awesome. Uh, We'd love to now pivot and ask you a couple of fun, rapid-fire questions. We know in a previous life, you were a highly successful entrepreneur of a specialty foods business. Can you tell us about your favorite yogurt flavor or favorite yogurt order? I have not had frozen yogurt in many years because no other frozen yogurt will ever compare to mine. I will say that with all humility because it was incredibly delicious. If any of you were in the Bay Area when this food fresh was around, you will know this. I love natural flavor with granola and mango. That was my absolute favorite. And I would have it at least two or three times a day. Sounds good. I wish I could have some now. (laughs) What's the best purchase you've made in the past few months under $20? I'm a super word nerd. So I'm definitely going to say my New York Times game subscription because it's got my crossword, my wordle, my spelling bee, my connections and all of them. For those of you that are word nerds, the best money you can possibly spend is your New York Times monthly subscription. And our final question to you, what's your boldest, most non-consensus prediction about, say, the next five to 10 years? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess I'm going to say, I don't know that AI is going to change the world. I'm going to say that I have not seen the evidence so far. 
And I feel like I've been doing this long enough that every three or four years, the journalists go crazy over AI and they make this huge deal. And then it dies down again until they find the next thing. I could be totally wrong, but I'm skeptical. I'm waiting on the sidelines and I'm skeptical, but I will be excited to be proven wrong. I feel like a lot of people might privately agree with you. Every couple of years, they come up with a new name for this kind of technology, whether it's machine learning, now it's AI. So yeah, it makes sense. Just like everything else, I think it will be more evolutionary than revolutionary. I think there will be lots of things that are automated and moderately more convenient. And you'll kind of see those sneaking into our systems over time. Makes sense. Well, thanks so much for your insights, Calendly, the product and your career. We can't wait to see what's in the future for the company. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. It's a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.